Hello, everybody. Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I am your host, Michael Lombardo. It is a joy to be with you today. Um, I am very grateful. We had about a uh, week and a half break here. Um, John Veal was on with me last time, my last episode of Awaken Podcast. We have some incredible guests in the near future. I'm excited to speak with and interview to release to you guys. And um, I know, you know, some people contacted me. Hey, where was the show last week? You know, where's the show the week before? We had a few, you know, because because of, of uh, some travel that I've been doing. Uh, we had a little bit of a break here, but I am glad to be back. And so um, for those who are new to Awaken Podcast, we release a new show every Monday and Thursday here on the Charisma Podcast Network. You could also tune in through Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the show, uh, etc. But we always have amazing people from around the world, missionaries, pastors, authors, prophets, incredible people that are anointed by the Lord, that are rising up in this time with a message, with a testimony that could encourage and stir the, the, the you know the body of Christ worldwide. And so the show is called Awaken Podcast because of Ephesians 5.14, a scripture that has resonated with me that really is the core of me and my wife's ministry, Selena Lombardo, our ministry, Life Poured Out International. You know, the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesians 5.14, he says, Awake, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's saying that the believer, the heart of the believer needs to be awakened so that we receive the beauty and the, and the countenance of Christ upon our heart, the revelation of Christ, so we may rise up and be all that we can be in this time, in this age. Believers need an awakening. We need to see Jesus. We need to know who we are in Christ. We need to understand the tools that are available to us and what the word of God truly says about our power and our authority and the purpose that we have in this life to live holy and to live righteous and to pray and to seek him. And so there is, um, I really like to have people on the show that encompass that and that speak that and prophesy that so the body of Christ could be edified. And so um, no further ado, I really want to have my guest on the show. I want to give him as much time as possible. His name is Will Ford. He is a minister and he's an author and he's passionate about cultural transformation. He travels throughout the U.S. speaking on intercession, reconciliation, awakening, and reformation. And he released a book not that long ago called The Dream King. And the subtitle is How the Dream of Martin Luther King Jr. is Being Fulfilled to Heal Racism in America. He wrote this book with Matt Lockett. It's a powerful, relevant message for this time. And so thank you, Will Ford, for uh, joining me on the podcast today. Oh, Michael, it's so honored to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. It's my joy. It's my joy. And so I always like to ask this question first. Before we get to the meat mm -hmm. of where we're going today, I always love to ask, because the show's Awaken Podcast, how did the Lord first awaken your heart? How did you first come to know the Lord Jesus? I believe for me, it was a grace awakening. When I realized that I, there was nothing I could do to stop God from loving me, mm. and it was, and that His love was a gift, and if I could earn it, then it wasn't a gift. When I realized that, I understand that you know the best definition for grace is being, you know, it's the empowering presence of God, which enables us to be everything God created us to be and to do everything God created us to do. I, but yeah. my first understanding of that, uh, of the of the definition for grace was unmerited favor. And mm. when I realized I had this unmerited favor that I couldn't uh, earn or unearn, 
it was a gift and I couldn't earn it. That was the greatest awakening that ever happened in my life. I believe it's true. And I heard somebody say it like this. If you've heard the gospel and you never thought this is too good to be true, then you probably didn't hear the gospel uh, because it is, it, it is this powerful, supernaturally transformative thing that happens to the human heart and to the human life. And it is this amazing gift of love that we get from God. And it is, uh, and when you hear it for the first time and realize that you can't work your way into heaven or work your way out of heaven in, in that regard, you know, I'm not talking about sloppy agape. I'm not talking about cheap grace. I'm talking about, uh, 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 salvation being a gift and, uh, and, uh, and the fruitful, uh, works that come about in our lives as a result of the inward working of the Holy Spirit, that, that wrecked me, that wrecked me, that changed my mm-hmm. life. And yeah. when I realized that Jesus loved me so much that he'd rather die than spend eternity without me. And that's what his <laughs> death on the cross was all about. That it was mm-hmm. the proof of that, uh, that, that wreck. So I had a grace awakening. I had a love awakening, and uh, I have not. I've not been the same since then. That was about thirty years ago. <laughs> That's powerful. I love that you say that. A lot of my uh, listeners here know uh, my story, and they know that when I uh, when I at Christ for the Nations Institute, actually, I got saved at twenty years old. Encountered the unconditional love mm-hmm. of God in my room dramatically. The supernatural mm-hmm. love of God filled my heart, and wow. I was changed. I was a new creation. I just wanted to serve him, love him, tell everyone about him. And then in Bible school, I got this revelation uh, of the smile of God, of his pleasure over my life, Mm. independent of my, you know, weaknesses and my strengths that he just, there was a perpetual smile of God over my life. And I began to just feel the pleasure of God. Not, he doesn't just Mm. love me, but he likes me. He likes me a lot. And I began to realize that. And that, and that kept me in the spirit, you know, that kept me in the spirit, continually aware of who I am and who he is to me so that I could walk in the spirit instead of constantly being up and down based on my performance. And so I love, I love that you brought that up. That's powerful. Oh yeah. That's, 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 that's amazing. Yeah. I think, I think it's, I think that's where our nation kind of is too. You know, we're, we're at the having this rude awakening right now, but in every single one of the greatest moves of the spirit, especially on a national scale, there was always the rude awakening before the great, before the great awakenings. And wow. I believe that we're, we're being set up for a massive, massive pandemic of love sickness that's going to hit the planet. I believe that we're being set up for a forgiveness revival. I believe we're being set up for a wave of repentance that's going to hit the planet like we've never seen before. And so wow. I, I just think all this time of social distancing has revealed the social distance that's been in our hearts, even regarding the race issue, not just black and white, not just black and blue, but you think, well, everything that happened with the, the Asian community, with uh, people blaming them for bringing in the coronavirus and, and all yeah. that, like their ethnicity is a, is a, is a virus. That's, that's not the case. Um, the CCP, you know, the Chinese Communist Party, probably had a lot more to do with than people realize. But that's another subject for another day. All I'm saying is this: is that uh, that the, the enemy is trying to raise up this 
ethnos rises up against ethnos, nation rises up against nation, ethnicity rises up against ethnicity, conflict in the earth, anti-Semitism being on the rise, all these things. But God's going to use the United Church to heal a divided nation. And I think God's going to raise up this remnant that's going to be part of this new pandemic of love sickness that's going to hit the earth. Amen. I believe that too. And I even just said, I was speaking with my brother-in-law last night. We're talking about race and everything that's going on in the world today and um, and things that have been stirring in our hearts. And I just said, I know, I just believe, you know, God, you know, what, you know, the path to healing and the path to deliverance is taking those things that were hidden, that were not spoken of and bringing them out to the surface. And as things bubble up out into the surface, then God really has the opportunity to come in and flow and pour out his power. And, and so I just, that's huge. You know, everything that, you know, what, that which is trapped in darkness comes to the light and it becomes light, it says in the book of Ephesians. And so, you know, we're, we're living in a critical time. And I know you wrote this book, The Dream King, you know, about your journey. And this has been going on for years with you, how the Lord's been speaking to you about the racial divide and God, you know, um, you know, healing this country, you know, in, in regards to the race issue and racism. And you, you have a rich, um, you, you share so many amazing stories about how God spoke to you prophetically and kind of your journey with the Lord, as well as Matt. Matt Lockett as well, a minister that you do a lot of traveling with and, you know, and writing with mm-hmm. and speaking with. And so you have a story about a prayer kettle because I know that your ancestors were in bondage of slavery. I'd love to hear a little bit about that as a background here. Oh, yeah, most definitely. So in my family, I think it's, you know, because we're all Christians, it's part of all of our <laughs> Christian family heritage. But uh, in my family, I have these Christians who were slaves and they were um slaves in Lake Providence, Louisiana, and they were owned by this slave master who would beat them for any reason. And praying was one of them. Back then, they wanted slaves to be Christians, but they didn't want them to pray because they felt like it would foster hope, and they thought they got hopeful. They thought maybe they'll try to run away. So this this slave master would literally beat them if you heard them praying. But these folks were were some amazing believers. (laughs) They decided to pray anyway. So they would sneak into a barn late at night to make sure their prayer meeting wasn't seen. But to make sure it wasn't heard, they used this cast iron kettle pot. And uh, they would turn that pot upside down on the cabin floor and then pop, prop it up with like three or four rocks to, to uh, create like a one-inch space between the ground yeah. and, the, and the edge of that kettle. And then they would lay flat on the ground and put their lips in between the opening between the ground and the kettle. So that the kettle pot muffled their voices as they prostrated themselves and prayed in the middle of the night. And Michael, the thing that was so powerful for me about this is that they, they said they didn't think they would see freedom in their time. So they prayed for the freedom of their children in the next generation. Mm-hmm. So one day freedom comes. There's this young teenage girl who decided to keep that pot and that story in our family. And it's like, why would, why would she do that? Well, she's probably thinking about all those who are dead and gone, who risked their lives to pray for her. She's probably thinking about all those who are too old to enjoy the freedom she's about to embrace. So she keeps that pot, that story in our family, and she passed it on to her daughter, Harriet Lockett, who Mm -hmm. then passed it on to Nora Lockett, who then passed it on to William Ford Sr., then passed it on to William Ford Jr., who then gave it to me, William Ford III. And so I've been taking that pot around the country uh, since 2001 to tell people, listen, you know, that they, they use that pot as an acoustic music to their prayers from being heard. But literally, Revelation 5 and 8 says there are bowls in heaven full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. There's a bowl in heaven, a golden pole that catches our prayers. I believe it's golden because that's how precious our prayers are to God. And yeah. um, and 
And so it wasn't just the prayers, though, those black Christian slaves praying. There are also white Christian abolitionists during that time period who knew that if any person was a slave was a Christian, they knew that person was their brother. They laid their lives down for each other. Many of those white abolitionists had their houses burned. They were shot. They were killed. They were even lynched because they chose to suffer with the people of God rather than compromise and wink at slavery because they knew the Christian slave was their brother. And so it was the prayers of that godly remnant that prayed into being the first and the second great awakening. You know, had it not been for those revivals, slavery, it, w- it would have never ended. So I was taking that part around the country, and then I had this dream about Martin Luther King. And, uh, you know, get the book. You can hear more about the, the dream in detail. And what I'm giving you right now is like the tip of the iceberg of the story. But uh, I had this dream with, about Dr. King, and in the dream, the Lord he, he dealt with me about my unforgiveness issues that I had with the white community that I was living in and just and with white people, people in the police. This was like 2003, 2004. I shared that dream with my friend Lou Engle. He was like, man, you have to share this, you know, because we were speaking at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, Dr. King's old church. And um, and so uh, we shared there. It was a powerful time, healing, reconciliation. But Lou said, you know what, let's, let's do this again at the Lincoln Memorial. January 17, 2005, come, bring your kettle, share this dream. Well, there was a white guy who came to the gathering because of a dream that he had. We didn't know each other at the time. And uh, he, he he comes to that gathering. We, we become friends. We've been friends for like 16 years now. Well, fast forward, that white friend of mine, Matt Lockett, he found out that the Civil War ended in his family's front yard. And we're like, whoa, that's kind of crazy. Like, here I have this kettle pot with slaves for mm-hmm. freedom. You have this house where General Lee fought his last battle. That house was owned by your family members. We thought, what a cool coincidence. But then we stumbled on more research, uh, Michael, and we learned that it was Matt's family who owned my family, where that kettle pot came from. Wow. Matt's last name is Lockett. Matt Lockett's family is the family that owned our family of Lockett's, where we changed our name from Lockett to Ford. So the crazy, it's just, it's just the bizarre thing. I'm, I'm not giving like the tip of the iceberg of the story. Read more about it in the book, The Dream King. But the deal is this. Here it is. Two guys were led by dreams to the place where Dr. King said in his I Have a Dream speech, I have a dream that one day the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit together at the table of brotherhood. You know, so maybe that dream speech that Dr. King had, maybe that dream speech wasn't just poetry. Maybe it was prophecy. No, maybe there's this dream king called the King of Kings who has a father that is still answering his prayer. Father, I pray that they be one so that your glory could come so that the world will believe. You know, maybe God hadn't forgotten about the prayers of our grandmothers, our grandfathers, and our mamas and our papas, right? So... In the midst of all that's going on right now, all the great shake, I'm just daring to believe that, listen, God's still going to use the United Church to heal the divided nation. And uh, it's time out for treating healing the racial divide like it's a distraction in the church. It's not. The distraction is now the attraction. We have to focus on this right now. And it's going to take work. It's going to take the work of listening. It's going to take the work of conversations. It's going to take the work of praying together. Matt and I met in a prayer meeting. How novel is that? We're going to have to pray through this. You know, you know, uh, we cannot Google our way out of this. We cannot, you know, uh, do an Instagram meme uh, uh, to, to get our way out of this or whatever. Facebook is not going to get us out of this. In other words, we're going to have to do the work of prayer 
together and uh and and, and ask for God to shift this thing. And uh, of course there there are the practical things we need to do, but we can't start anything until we start in the place of prayer. So that's uh that's kind of my, what my heart is on, on, on this stuff now and uh, and it's amazing what God is doing. But God's gonna use the United Church to heal a divided nation, but we're gonna have to do the work. I love that. That's powerful. And God has made you, Will Ford and Matt Lockett, a prophetic picture of what he wants to do. He mm-hmm. wants to break the divide. He wants to bring us together, unite us. And um, just even the fulfillment of, you know, Martin Luther King he, Jr., he was a man of God. He loved the Lord with all of his yeah. heart. And he was hearing, he was hearing from the Lord in the midst of everything he was doing. Mm-hmm. And I, and you're absolutely right. It wasn't just poetry. It was prophetic. He was seeing, he had a dream. He was receiving a dream from the Lord and he spoke it boldly. Yeah. And, and we're seeing that take place in, you know, in, in little ways here and there all across, you know, all across the U.S. and the world. But I just love how God has made you and Matt Lockett in this book here, just a prophetic picture of where he wants to take us as a church and the United States. And um, this is something that I, I, I know you mentioned the dream that you had with Martin Luther King Jr. in the dream. I'd love for you to give us a little more detail on that because the okay. Lord healed your heart. The Lord healed your heart. And I feel like, you know, I, I believe that when people are mistreated, they they should speak up and they have a voice. Martin Luther King was an incredible example of that with his peaceful protests and everything he did to make a mark here in the world to really speak up. I just feel like so many people, though, you know, have hurt in their heart. And I think God, I was just reading through reading through your book, seeing that God did something so powerful in you so you could be a true agent of change. I'd love to hear about that. Right. Yeah, so to give a little bit more detail into the dream. So it's interesting. I was I was going to be speaking the next day in Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. For those of you who don't know, that's the church where Dr. King was preaching when he basically the civil rights movement got started through him. Um, so anyway, we're going there to re, you know just kind of redig that well and pray. But the night before we go there, I have a dream about the dream of Dr. King. In this dream. Lou Engel and I are on our way to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, but we couldn't get there without first picking up Dr. King. <laughs> so it's a dream, right? So we go by this house and Dr. King is alive <laughs> and he comes out of this house and he has this humongous white duffel bag with him that has black handles on it. And in the dream, Dr. King starts emptying all this dark garbage out of that duffel bag. Then he throws the bag down violently and he comes to get into this vehicle with us. And in this dream, I thought to myself, man, that bag would make a nice souvenir. <laughs> Which is kind of, kind of funny because, you know, it's like, I'm thinking, I went to Morehouse College, Dr. King went to Morehouse College, the bag would make a nice souvenir, I'm thinking, you know. <laughs> so anyway, in the dream, I, I could get out of the vehicle that Lou and I are in to go pick up the baggage. But before I could touch it, Dr. King grabs him by my shoulders in the dream. And he says, no, do not go back and pick that up. And he starts telling me what I need to do to heal the racial divide in our nation. I woke up from the dream in tears. And I, I didn't even realize it. My pillow was soaked in tears. I wept in intercession the whole night. Didn't even realize it. I shared the dream with Lou. He begins to weep. And we're like, God, what's the interpretation for this dream? I was like, God, remind me. What did Dr. King say to me? And the Lord said to me, William the white bag with the black candles, that would be the interpretation for your dream. And I knew mm-hmm. what God was talking about. 
because uh, I realized the black handles represented how I, as a black man, had been handling my white baggage. God was saying to me, William, get rid of your white baggage. You've been carrying it for way too long. And uh, I knew what he's talking about because I knew what what it was like at 13 years old. uh, Myself and three other friends uh, were coming out of a convenience store and a carload full of white guys chased us for over an hour and a half, uh, called us the N-word, said they were going to shoot and kill us. You know, they probably were just joyriding, but we were we were terrified. I know what it was like at 19 to be falsely accused of shoplifting, and when the officer couldn't find anything on me, called me ugly things to try to provoke me into a fight or something, just so he had an excuse to take me in. I know what it's like in my 30s to have my first amazing house in a nice suburban neighborhood, but the same police officer for the first three months every week would just pull me over just for driving wild black. I know what that feels like. But you know what I've done, Michael? For all, every white person and every police officer in that region, I put those three storylines on everybody. I put those three narratives on everybody. So that before I ever had a conversation with anybody, yeah, I saw everybody through that grid. And so... Uh, uh, that grit of pain and uh, th- th- those those encounters that I had with just those three people, and they're amazing police officers and and, and amazing uh, white people. Where, you know, uh, I wouldn't be where I am today yeah. were not be them for some of the relationships I have with the white community. But the thing is, this in that area, I, I put those storylines on everybody. It's Revelation twelve, the devil's deal. You know, it, the Bible says in Revelation twelve that the, the enemy is the accuser. Other brethren, the word accuser, Michael, is the Greek word kategoros, is where we get the word category. So the mm-hmm. diabolical plot of the enemy is to get us to categorize or stereotype each other so that before we can ever have one conversation with anybody, we put those bad storylines on every single person, those bad wow. narratives on every single person. Wow. In other words, we judge everybody by the one bad experience that we've learned about or heard about or experienced from somewhere else. God was saying to me, William, get rid of your bitterness. Get rid of your resentment. Get rid of your uh, uh, unforgiveness. Get rid of your white baggage so you can get into a new vehicle that can bring revival and justice for everybody. So that's really what God is shouting to everybody right now is this. What color is your baggage? (laughs) Get rid of it. Get rid of it, whatever that, whatever color. Get rid of it, y'all, because we need each other. Because only a united church is going to be part of healing the divide in this nation right now. I love that because even Martin Luther King Jr. He wanted he wouldn't even let people, you know. And you, I think you mentioned this in your book. He wanted them to let go of their bitterness, and he he pointed them towards the spiritual. You know, he didn't say the white, you know, the yeah. white people are your enemy. You know, he said the the spiritual forces of wickedness are your enemy that are controlling. You know the the people, and he wanted you know he wanted the bitterness and the unforgiveness to be released before even the peaceful process you know protest would take place because then all the things that we do just anger and hatred come out and manifest in the wrong spirit and so that's why I just love you know there's so much going on and I feel you know I have so many black friends in my life and I love them and they've expressed things that they've gone through growing up that I did not experience now, I'm Italian but I'm also I'm white you know and I grew up in America and I didn't experience you know, the same things that my, that my black friends did, you know? So I, I feel that pain and these are people I love and they've expressed these things to me. But I find that like just hearing you share that story about how God wanted you to release that baggage so you could be a true agent of change. 
I just feel like that's a message yeah. for the world right now. A huge message for the world. It's interesting because after after I, I had that dream and I released that for the first time, I prayed for the family who owned our family where that kettle pot came from. Wow! For the first time, and 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 then it was a year later. That's when I meet Matt Lockett at a prayer meeting at the Lincoln Memorial on MLK Celebration Day. You know, and so. The son of the slaves and the son of the former slave owners would have never met if I had held on to my bitterness. Wow. I, I wouldn't be walking in the fullness of everything that God is doing right now in my life if I had held on to that baggage. Wow. You know, so the table of brotherhood is real, but you can't sit at that table with your souvenirs of pain, your souvenirs of bitterness, your souvenirs of... It's, I'm not saying we can't talk about our pain at the table of brotherhood. What I'm saying is we can't hold on to our souvenirs of unforgiveness. Our souvenirs of bitterness, our souvenirs of resentment, you know, and then also, and then also too, our souvenirs of of uh, of privilege, where we choose not to put our privilege at risk to see other people flourish. That's true. Uh, wow. I'll give an example. I'm talking about, you know, Daniel. He's there, you know, in in, in Babylon. He, he pulls out the prophetic word from uh, from Jeremiah that after seventy years they were going back and they were going to be released on their bodies. But Daniel didn't have a casual response to that prophetic word. 70 years later, he goes into a time of prayer and fasting, 21 days, Daniel nine, he starts crying out to God. And he says, Father, he said, Lord, we have sinned against you. I, my fathers, we have sinned. Now Daniel didn't sin. He was just one of the sons who were led in exile because of the sins of the fathers. But Daniel owned that sin. In other words, he 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 entered to a place of identification or repentance, yeah, to bring healing and 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 to see a shift happen. I think that's what that's the response we need from our from the, our white brothers and sisters right now is uh, be willing to enter to a place of identification or repentance. Now, I'm not saying bow down to this some of this other junk that's going on. This demonic agenda. This uh, trying to sweep through, taking over movements and whatever, and pimping the pain of people uh, to try to uh, bring about uh, the, the wrong kind of change. There are two types of justice movements in the earth that's being released at the same time. And one of them is a false justice movement. But there's another one that God is releasing that's going to bring healing, and the church is going to be involved, and it's going to take us in into that place identificationally to release healing and forgiveness. And those things working in tandem with each other to see this change come about. So, uh, so anyway, all that to say, there's still room at the table, y'all. There's room at the table, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's all it's all hands on deck right now. We need everybody engaged right now. Absolutely, man. That's so good. And um, you know, you talk about a lot of different things in your book about different encounters that you've had, you know, with the Lord you know, about God's heart, you know, being broken over, you know, systemic racism. And, you know, you even bring up, you and Matt Lockett both talk about abortion and how it kind of goes hand in hand mm -hmm. with uh, systemic racism. And this is uh, an issue that's really near and dear to my heart. For those who have watched, uh, those who have listened to the podcast know that I had an abortion at 19 years old. Um, you know, a girlfriend of mine mm -hmm. had an abortion. I paid for it and God had to bring me through a healing process of shame and how God put a lot of hope in my heart, you know, when I've turned my heart to him and 
And so it's a, it's an issue that's deep in my heart. But you guys, you, you you and Matt put a lot of light to how the you know the roots of abortion and Planned Parenthood you know are rooted in systemic racism. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, there's a I'll tell you a good place to start from is just a place where. All of us, a place that we all agree is like something is egregious or something that's something that's horrible. A couple of years ago, there was a, a ad that was done by H and M, where they had a, a young black kid had on a hoodie, and on the front of the hoodie, uh, the T-shirt portion of it, it said, "Coolest monkey in the jungle." Mm. And so people wow. were like, "What?" And then, but right next to him, well, maybe even worse, there was a little white kid next to him that had on a T-shirt that said. Jungle survival expert. And so people are like, okay, what is going on with H&M? So LeBron James is mad, you know, Jay-Z getting mad. And, and the reason why is because we can do, humanize somebody. It's easy to marginalize them and even eliminate them. So, you know, and black folks have been fighting against that for years. And the best example of it is what happened to a man named Oda Binga. Oda Binga was, a, was an animal trainer in Africa who was amazing at what he did. But there was a man from the eugenics movement who saw Ola Binga while he was in Africa and said, hey, I'm going to take him and bring him back and put him on display and, uh, and, and show how black people are closer to apes and monkeys on the evolutionary scale instead of white people. <laughs> and so it was horrible. So what's a eugenicist? Eugenics is just a sophisticated name for racism. That's all you need to know. And they believe that um, there are good gene people and they're bad gene people. The good gene people are called the eugenic people. The bad gene people are called dysgenic people. So their mm-hmm. idea is to weed out the dysgenic people um, through sterilization, through abortion. And uh, if they can't, you know, if they'll survive those things, then they try to weed them out of society through um, mass incarceration and, and, and other institutions. And so, and the interesting thing about the eugenic the eugenics movement is that the people who believe this stuff, they believe that even poverty was inherent. Like, like just like the color of your eyes is inherent. They believe that poverty was inherent and you can't, <laughs> there's nothing that anybody could do about that. So, um, and they believe that. And they also believe that black people, other minorities were, uh, dysgenic. And so they sought to weed these people out. And, um, and, uh, so anyway, so, so the eugenics movement puts Oda Binga on display in the Bronx Zoo. <laughs> it, it, and it's a crazy time period. They do this, 1905, 1906. He's in the Bronx Zoo. And um, uh, he had an orangutan as his cellmate. Oh 40,000 people would flood the Bronx Zoo to watch Oda Binga uh, in this cell. You know, they they... they Put them in, you know, just a couple of, you know, just uh, uh, you know, real stereotypical type of things that you know people put on black people, like a Tarzan or whatever. That's the, those are the kind of clothes that he wore. And it was horrible how they treated him. Eventually, he gets he gets out, but he uh, commits suicide. He shoots himself in the heart. And uh, but oh the people God. who put him in the man, the man who was over the Brock Zoo at that time was a man named Madison Grant. Madison Grant wrote one of the first books on scientific racism called um, The Passing of the Great Race. And it was about white supremacy and how the white race was 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 passing away and how they need to fight to maintain their place of supremacy because they are the best race. 
And so this book had such a profound influence on people at that time period. Madison Grant's book was at the bedside of Hitler because, uh, of course, he was very much into eugenics and with the extermination of the Jews. Yeah. But then also the other person who uh, said that that book was very important that everybody should read it was a lady named Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger was part of the eugenics movement and uh, and and was in full support of the things that Madison Grant was doing at that time from also being in other things. But here's the deal. Margaret Sanger will later on become the person who started a little organization called the uh, Birth Control Review. And then her friend said, you know, why don't you just change the name of your organization to Planned Parenthood? So she's the person who started Planned Parenthood. And over 70% of those clinics are in minority communities. Yeah. And, uh, and and again, it goes to that whole thing of dehumanization again. Because um, when you can dehumanize a child in the womb, they say, oh, this is just a... This is just a choice, not a child. This is just a, a process, not a person. Uh, this is just a, uh, a fetus. Well, fetus is a Latin word for little child. <laughs> the, the, the deal is this. When the, the child in the womb can be dehumanized, it's inevitable. When the people that we cannot see can be dehumanized, it's inevitable that some of the other people that, that we can see can also be you know, dehumanized, become optional, even to the place of elimination, like we saw with George Floyd. Yeah. So when a child number one can become optional, it's inevitable other people can become dehumanized and optional and marginalized as well. And so the race issue is the, uh, the pink elephant in the room with the race issue is eugenics because all roads lead to Planned Parenthood. And, you know, there are certain um, folks in our society especially the least, they don't talk about that part of it because they don't want to address the abortion topic and connect it to that when it's connected in more ways than one. You, you talk about, and you mentioned it here in this interview, that um, a united church will help heal a divided world. And I agree 100%. I believe that we are the salt in the earth. We are the light of the world. We are the city set on a hill. And the Lord Jesus, with his power and his spirit and his revelation and through the church, We'll, we'll break down the walls and we'll be, you know, we'll, we'll bring the lost sons and daughters home. And I believe in all this. And I really, you know, for me as a, as a white male in America, I've got so many black friends that, that are feeling this. And then you look out in the world and, you know, some people are expressing themselves in a positive way, in a healthy way. And then there's a lot going on as well, where it's unhealthy and it's causing more division, you know? And, um, but how could we, you know, how could we, you know, or myself even, you know, we're talking about it now. You talked about the importance of prayer and kind of sympathizing with the black community and what they're going through. How could, how could we practically, you know, because it says in the Sermon of the Mount to love, you know, uh, you know, cause you mentioned in your book, how you know, Jesus said, love your enemies and all this and all this stuff that's going on in the world, the looting and the, and the protests and all these different things, not really always manifesting as love. How could, how could I, and so many of us, you know, um, white people really stand with our black brothers and sisters to really make a difference here in this, in this day and age. I want to know for myself, I want to know how I could be better and how I could, how I could really truly make a difference, you know, so we could see a united church, you know, heal a divided world. Yeah. I would say listening is really key uh, for you guys right now. Um, and then uh, being intentional with, uh, you know, pursuing uh, relationships with people that don't look like us. Uh, it's easy for 
it's easy for you for 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 the for the dominant culture to say it like that. It's easy for the dominant culture to just stay in their own networks, for their own relationships, from their job to their family to friendships to church, and not see anybody that looked like them. You can totally do life without us, in other words. Yeah. And so it's it's going to take all of us getting out of those bubbles to cross over and to uh, listen and learn. Another thing, too, we got to do what Jesus did. Jesus shifted the narrative over people. You know, it's powerful, Michael. You look at, uh, at uh, mm-hmm. I think it's uh, Luke, the ninth chapter, around verse 51. Jesus is trying to go through a Samaritan village and, uh, you know, or Samaritan neighborhood. The Jews and Samaritans hated each other at that time period. Uh, yeah. When Jesus met the woman at the well, the, the profound thing was not just that she was a woman, it was that she was a Samaritan woman. Yeah. Jews and Samaritans did not talk to each other. For Jesus to actually receive water from a Samaritan was huge. I mean, like back in the day, blacks and whites, you know, uh, wouldn't even swim together. They had separate drinking fountains. I mean, that's how uh, intense the division the was even during that time period uh, with uh, the blacks and, I mean, with uh, with Jews and um, and with yeah. the Samaritans. You had uh, Galilee in the north, you had Samaria uh, in the middle there, and at the bottom, the southern end of, of Israel, you had, uh, you had Judea. And uh, <clears throat> the Jews would walk all the way around Samaria so they wouldn't defile themselves. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they hated. Really? They need to get to Galilee. They walked all the way around to uh, to get to where they need to go. And so Jesus says, no, I'm going to cut through. I'm going to cut through the neighborhood. Like back when I was growing up, I don't know if you had this, like, <laughs> you know, there's certain neighborhoods you couldn't cut through. I couldn't cut through certain, even some black neighborhoods if I knew I was from a different neighborhood or yeah. definitely some Hispanic neighborhood sometimes I couldn't cut through that neighborhood. Certain white neighborhoods I couldn't cut through. This is what was going on in Jesus. They couldn't cut through that hood. And so they, he sends two disciples to ask, hey, can we cut through here? And they're like, no, Jew, you can't cut through. And so they just seen Jesus, you know, transfigured. So they're like, oh my God, this is the guy. And then also he gave them the, the, the 12 at that time, he gave them authority to cast out demons. So they got a little authority on them right now. So they had come to Jesus and they say, hey, you want us to just nuke this village? You want us to just destroy this thing right now? Yeah. You want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy the village? You know, who needs a Molotov cocktail, Jesus? We can just call down fire from heaven. You want us to do that? <laughs> and and uh, Jesus, said, Jesus said something that was so profound, Michael. He said this. He said, the Son of Man didn't come to destroy man's lives, but to save him. But then he says, also says this. He says, you don't know what spirit you're speaking from. It's like, whoa. He's saying, you don't know what spirit you're speaking from. You think you want justice, but really you want revenge. You don't know what spirit you're speaking from right now. Mm. And so you think that's the end of it, but Jesus addresses the Samaritan racism. Here's what he does. Next next, next uh, uh, chapter, he gives 72 authority to cast out demons. They're casting out demons. One of them comes to Jesus and they talk about how, man, we preach the gospel. Demons are being cast out. Jesus said, yeah, I saw Satan. Fall like light. In other words, a principality, something fell over the region. Something shifted in the heavens over, the, over that place. Then this lawyer comes to Jesus, who's a Jew, and he says, who's my neighbor? 
And Jesus says, okay, let me tell you the story about a good neighbor. Let me tell you a story about a good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. Samaritan? Hold up, Jesus. Aren't you the same guy who experienced racism from these folks over here, these Samaritans? Why don't you tell the story about the racism you received in that Samaritan village? No, Jesus says, no, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm, we're going to take a sword to the heavens. I'm going to take a towel to the earth. And now I'm going to shift the narrative. I'm going to destigmatize the very people that you can't stand. And I'm going to tell you the story about a good police officer. I'm going to tell you a story about a good black man. I'm going to tell you a story about a good white man. I'm going to tell you a good story about a good Asian man. I'm going to tell you a story. In other words, Jesus shifts the narrative. And that's what we have to do. We have to start telling the rest of the story. You know, that tells these other stories and shift the narrative of this thing. And the church is the one that's equipped to do it. And we have to be the ones that lead in this area. There's a meta narrative. Everybody's talking about that's everybody's favorite little word now, narrative. There's a meta narrative. And it belongs to God. He has a storyline that's amazing. He wants all of us to be part of it. So it's not to negate what the Samaritans did. It's to overcome the power that was there because our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and power, spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, that's what Jesus knew. He was dealing with something demonic. And this, there's a spirit of racism. I actually had to cast it out of somebody before. This battle is not against flesh and blood. And so we have to realize that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And here, Will, I want to I wanna be able to, you know, end this podcast here today, you know, in prayer. And I want, you know, um, I just want to pray for this nation. I want to pray for, you know, this year 2020 has been crazy, as you and everybody knows, with the <laughs> pandemic and with, you know, with um, everything that's going on in George Floyd and, you know, with, you know, systemic racism, really there being a highlight on that right now and kind of, you know, with the election year and everything that's taking place. And I'd love for you to lead us in prayer. I'd love to just have a moment to intercede here for what's going on in the world. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Well, Lord, we just, we just come before you right now. God, I just, I just bless the Lombardo family. God, I thank you so much for Michael. I thank you for his heart. Lord, just just the worshiping warrior that he is. I thank you for what you're doing for him and his family. I thank you for uh, this amazing uh, podcast that you, uh, 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 this a series of them that you're releasing through him right now. I thank you that you're raising them up to be a voice and, and not an echo in this generation. And Lord, Michael, and I, we come before you for on behalf of this nation. And God, we, we do ask, Lord, that you would heal these things that have come to the surface. We thank you for bringing it to the surface, God. It's been suppressed for so long. But Lord, we thank you for bringing healing. We thank you for salvation springing up. We thank you for you answering your son's prayer. Well, he prayed in John 17 that your glory could come and make us one so that the world would believe. God, we thank you that the greatest sign and wonder in the earth right now is a united church. Lord, would you use a united church to heal a divided nation right now? Would you come in great power and great glory, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we just say there's still room at the table of brotherhood. God, there's still room at this table that that you're building. And so uh, we, we just release invitations all throughout the country, all throughout the world, Lord, that uh, so that a generation even yet to be created could praise you. So, Lord, we ask you for the release of the spirit of wisdom and revelation. 
and a baptism of a love, God, to come like we've never seen before. Lord, we thank you for the root awakening, but Lord, we thank you for the great awakening as well. God, we ask you for a spirit of awakening to be released, an awakening rod released all over America that will touch the globe as well in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen, Lord. I just thank you right now for Will Ford and his wife. I just thank you for raising them up as a mouthpiece in this generation. And I thank you, Lord, for Matt Lockett. And I thank you, Lord, for this book, The Dream King, that you get into the hands of the right people. And I just pray, Lord, I just know that you've raised Will and his ministry partners and his wife and all of them up to be a voice of awakening in this generation. And I just thank you for being um, a wall of fire around them and the glory um, in the midst. And I just thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are healing this land and that you are pouring out the knowledge of your glory as the waters cover the sea in the mighty name of Jesus in America. And I just thank you that your will um, is going to be done and your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And I just thank you for this election, Lord, that your will is going to prevail in the mighty name of Jesus, that the devil is silenced and that the accuser is under our feet. I just thank you, Heavenly Father, that the God of peace crushes Satan under the church's feet. And I just thank you, Heavenly Father, that every tongue that rises up against us in judgment shall be condemned, for this is our heritage as children of God. And I just thank you, Lord, for my black brothers and sisters, that you would bring such healing in their heart. And I just thank you, Lord, for my white brothers and sisters, Asian brothers and sisters, that you would um, literally awaken our hearts, God, to truth, and that we would treat each other as we want to be treated, and that we would see one another as image bearers of God, not one better than the other, Lord. And I just thank you for grace upon grace, and where much sin is, grace abounds all the more. And we just declare that over this country and over the church in the mighty name of Jesus. Jesus Amen. 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 Well, thank you. Thank you so much, brother. And so the dream came. No, no, thank you, Michael. This is is a, a, a quick read. It's a small book, but it's powerful. And I believe that everyone needs to read it right now because of what we're going through. It's tremendously enlightening. And I believe this is for every race, you know, um, just so we could read this and really grasp this and kind of see God's heart in this time and what the Lord's doing in the earth. And how can people get a hold of this book, The Dream King, and how can they connect more with your ministry? Well, go to uh, dreamstreamcompany.com and uh, go to the store and uh, you can get the book there. It's the shared website between myself and my friend Matt Lockett. We have, uh, you know, some blogs and other things we, we've written and that are on there and also some clips, but uh, check out the store on that website and, and you can get that book. Uh, you can get it on Amazon too. We ran out for a while, but uh, we just got that stock replenished, but um, uh, awesome. get it from our website too, dreamstreamcompany.com. Awesome. I love it. Thank you, Will, for spending time with me today, man. It's awesome talking to you. Thank you for your insight. Uh, yes, it's so good to catch up and uh, and reconnect and uh, look forward to staying connected. Absolutely. Me too. God bless you, brother. And so make sure for those who are listening today to subscribe, rate, review the podcast. It will help us get this out to more people around the world to be challenged, inspired, and blessed by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ every Monday and Thursday on the Charisma Podcast Network is a new episode of Awaken Podcast. You can watch it, uh, listen to it on um, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, 
subscribe there. But I look forward to speaking with you next time on Awaken Podcast.